that great father and doctor of the church, St. Jerome, teaches that ignorance of the scriptures is ignorance of Christ. And since, as we all know from our catechism, the purpose of our lives is to know and to love and to serve God in this life, and to be happy with him forever in the next, just think of how much we ought to love the Holy Scriptures, how much we ought to strive and understand the Word of God, especially the Holy Gospel. It will be to our great shame on Judgment Day that so many Protestants had a higher reverence for our Holy Scriptures than so many of us. Now, in today's Gospel, we heard the story of the multiplications of the loaves and fishes. And every time the topic comes up, it reminds me of a sermon I heard back home in Montana. That Sunday, the gospel was about the multiplication of the loaves and the fish. And the priest, who certainly needs your prayers, he's still going strong up there, the priest got up in the pulpit and proceeded to tell us what he thought had really happened. And so the priest explained to us that in point of fact, the miracle in the gospel wasn't that our Lord actually multiplied the loaves and the fish. No, that wasn't the miracle at all. The miracle was that our Lord got everybody to share the loaves and the fish they had brought but had stashed away. That was the real miracle. And I can remember thinking, are you kidding me? The real miracle here is that you're stupid enough to get up there and say something like that in front of us. And what exactly do you think is going to happen on the altar in about five minutes? Generally speaking, when you hear something that crazy, you can assume that the guy is either a modernist or he's been smoking some pretty bad weed or else he's a well-established scriptural scholar. But I repeat myself. To be fair, of late, we are getting a fairly good crop of, uh, of good Catholic scripture scholars. Uh, it's very hopeful we need to thank God for that, because as uh, we get more and more of, of those scholars trained up and all that, and they're in place in seminaries, uh, nobody's going to have to sit through this kind of nonsense anymore you know, foaming out of the pulpits. Anyway, the funny thing is, or maybe I should say the sad thing, is that I'm probably not the only one here today that has heard this idiotic explanation of this very miracle. I know this morning uh, there were a bunch of people that came up and said, yeah, I'm getting hands here, see? There's plenty of people that have heard this thing. I went to seminary with guys from all over North America, and when the topic would come up, almost all of them had heard this same non-explanation of the miracle of multiplication of loaves and fishes. And this so-called miracle of sharing is not the only nutty thing that these clowns have to say about the multiplication of loaves and fishes. See, they've read the Gospel, and they've noticed, for example, that in St. Matthew's Gospel and St. Mark's Gospel, there are two accounts of our Lord multiplying loaves and fishes. We see in the first instant, he feeds 5,000 men, not coming women and children. In the second instant, he feeds 4,000 men, not coming women and children. So the obvious conclusion, in other words, the one that you and I would make when we read that, is that the reason that we read about these two miracles is because our Lord multiplied the loaves and fishes twice. 
be fed one time 5,000, another time 4,000, right? Of course. But these clowns come to a different conclusion. See, in their minds, the reason there are two accounts of these miracles is not because our Lord performed this miracle twice. At best, they think that the men who assembled the Gospels, and they assure us very confidently that one thing we know is their names weren't Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The men that assembled the Gospels decades and decades and decades after the events actually took place had just gathered up various stories which had been handed down by word of mouth, what they call the oral tradition, and they assembled them into what we now know as the Gospels. And so one story said 5,000 men, and another story said 4,000 men, and these clowns insist it isn't because the event took place. In fact, that has nothing to do with it. If the event even took place at all, which they did, they discussed, it only took place once. But over time, because of oral tradition, people got the numbers confused. And so two versions cropped up. But just to be on the safe side, the men producing the Gospels stuck both versions in, into the Scriptures. I know it's crazy, but I don't make this stuff up. They do. So, let's set all that stuff aside and put these two miracles into perspective. Ask ourselves, why are there two miracles of the multiplications of loaves and fishes? So we're going to take a closer look at the section of St. Mark's Gospel in which they're found. We'll draw on the insights of one of my professors. Anyway, this section begins, of St. Mark's Gospel, begins in chapter 6, verse 31, and stretches to chapter 8, verse 29. So Mark's 6:31 to 8:29. Uh, everyone ought to go home tonight and read it. It'll take you 15 minutes to read this. This is not a long section out of Scripture, and that way it'll stick in your mind. Mark 6, 31 to 8, 29. If you have doubts about your memory, there's a little mnemonic. You could think something like breakfast at St. Mark's is from 6, 30 to 8, 30. That'll get you in the, in the country. You'll remember it when you go home. If we had the time tonight, it'd be great to go through the various Old Testament foreshadowings of the events we see here, especially the things that Moses and Elisha did, but we'll just consider tonight the pattern of the events we see in this part of St. Mark's Gospel. When you read it, you're going to see there's a lot more detail than what we're going to cover, okay? Today we're just simply going to consider the pattern of these events. Starting in Mark 6.31, our Lord multiplies the loaves and fishes, and he feeds the 5,000. Then our Lord crosses the sea, and he lands. He's actually walking on the water during this crossing. After crossing the sea and landing, he gets into a dispute with the Pharisees. Then he has a conversation about bread. In this case, he's speaking to a Syrophoenician woman, a Gentile woman. After the bread conversation, he heals a man. In this case, it was a man born deaf and dumb. This healing is followed by a confession of faith. The disciples say to the Lord that he hath done all things well. He hath bold make the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. Okay, so that's round one. It starts with multiplying the loaves and fish, then crossing the sea and landing, then having a dispute with the Pharisees, conversation about bread, a miraculous healing, and then a confession of faith. Okay? We are now to the beginning of chapter 8, which is today's gospel reading. So there's a great multitude of people who've been following our Lord for three days having nothing to eat, which we just heard in the gospel. So he tells the disciples he can't send these people away without feeding them, lest they faint on the way. So the disciples, as we've heard, ask our Lord, how can anyone 
possibly feed all these people with bread in the wilderness. Now, once we see the context of this, we can realize this is kind of an incredible question to ask. Only a short time before, in the very presence of these same men, he had fed 5,000 in the wilderness. So this time, our Lord multiplies the loaves and fish and feeds the 4,000. Then, he crosses the sea and lands. After crossing the sea and landing, he gets in a dispute with the Pharisees. Then he has a conversation about bread with his apostles this time. After the bread conversation, he performs yet another miraculous healing. He heals the blind man. Now this is really a fascinating miracle. And once we understand it, we can, we'll get a very deep insight in the pattern we've seen in the gospel. So let's read this miracle right from the gospel passage itself. Mark 8, 22 to 25. And they came to Bethsaida. And some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And spitting upon his eyes and laying his hands upon him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, but they look like trees walking. After that again he laid his hands upon his eyes, and he began to see, and was restored, so that he saw things clearly. Okay, so first our Lord puts spit on the blind man's eyes, and then he lays his hands on him. What's the result? When our Lord asks the man if he can see anything, he says that he sees men like trees walking. Then our Lord lays his hands on the man's eyes again. Then after that, he can see perfectly. Now let's just stop and think about that for a minute. Most of us have probably read this gospel before. But how many of us have stopped and noticed it takes two attempts for our Lord to give the blind man his vision? Have you ever thought about how really strange that is. Why couldn't this guy see right the first time? Is it possible that our Lord was having a hard time giving sight to a blind man? No. Is it possible that our Lord's spit had lost its curative power? No. Is it possible that our Lord wasn't praying hard enough. No. This is the Almighty God doing a miracle. The God who made everything out of nothing. And he just took two tries to perform a miracle. Okay, now hold that thought. We're going to return to that. This healing is followed by a confession of faith in our Lord. He asked, Whom do men say that I am? And his apostles respond, seeing that some men say that he's John the Baptist, some others, Elias, or others, one of the prophets. Our Lord asked them, Well, whom do you say that I am? And St. Peter asks, answers and says, Thou art the Christ. And as we see in St. Matthew's Gospel, he says, Thou art the Christ the Son of the living God. Okay, so what have we seen? We've seen a pattern. 
started with multiplying of loaves and fish, then crossing the sea and landing, then conflict with the Pharisees, conversation about bread, miraculous healing, confession of faith. Then it starts over again with multiplying the loaves and fish, crossing the sea and landing, conflict with the Pharisees, conversation about bread, miraculous healing, and it ends with a confession of faith. And now we can see clearly why there are two miracles of the multiplication of loaves and fish. We can, how's that, Father? All our Lord's signs are meant to point to one inescapable conclusion, that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He did these works precisely to show men who he is. He's performing all these signs and wonders precisely so his followers will know who he is. And yet, after the first round, which includes multiplying loaves and fish to feed 5,000 men, walking on water, and healing a man born deaf and dumb, the best he can get from his followers is, he hath done all things well. Well, let's not get totally carried away and have a stampede or anything like that. After seeing that, this is not exactly a breathtaking confession of faith on the part of his disciples, is it? So what's the point of this pattern? Why does everything start all over again? Because of the spiritual blindness of his disciples. Because of their spiritual blindness, our Lord has to do a review in order to get the message across to these guys. What message? The message that he's the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that explains why he did the miracle of giving sight to the blind man in two stages and asked the man, can you see? Do you think God is really wondering whether a man can see? Of course not. God doesn't wonder anything. He knows everything. He did that miracle in two stages on purpose to get his message across. After the first laying on of hands, the blind man can kind of see. Then after asking the man, can you see, our Lord goes ahead and lays his hands on the man a second time and heals the man's blindness. Our Lord is using the blind man to symbolize his own disciples. After the first series of events, the multiplication of loaves and so forth, they're kind of getting it. They can kind of see that he's a pretty good guy, that he does all things well. So the first stage of healing of the blind man symbolizes the first round, from the feeding of the 5,000 to the first confession of faith. Since to see Jesus Christ is basically a pretty good guy who does all things well, is as bizarre and blind as to see men as if they're walking trees. Now the second stage of this miraculous healing symbolizes the second round of events from the feeding of the 4,000 to that miracle. And just as a blind man can finally see clearly after our Lord has twice laid hands upon him, so also the apostles can finally see clearly after our Lord has literally gone over the same ground twice and done this great big long review session with them. And since he's healed their blindness, 
since they can finally clearly see who he is, St. Peter finally responds with an adequate and accurate confession of faith. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so now we can see clearly why there were in two, indeed two miracles of the multiplication of loaves and fishes, why the healing of the blind man took place in two stages. We can also see clearly how truly blind are the scriptural scholars who dismiss these miracles. We can also see clearly how Christ our Lord speaks to men through the events which surround them. And yet in spite of that, even those who have walked with him may not have originally had enough faith to see his actions clearly in the circumstances around him. So this is a good occasion for each one of us to ask himself, how long have I been walking with the Lord? How clearly do I see him? Do I see him basically as just a good guy? What kind of confession of faith does he get from me? Am I blind? Who am I more like? The disciples after the first round? Or is it my faith in him more like St. Peter's? Is it time for me to start seeing the world clearly? If I ever find out I've been mistaken, am I prepared to change my ways of thinking and acting without counting the cost? In Holy Mass today, I can and should ask our Lord to remove any spiritual blindness which may be present in my life. I can and should ask our Lord to increase my faith. And I can and should thank Him for this priceless gift of the true faith, the faith without which it is impossible to please Him. I can and should renew my resolve to pray the Holy Rosary every day, knowing that Our Lady will protect preserve and nurture my faith. I can and should resolve to do a little spiritual reading every day, be it from the Gospels or from the lives of the saints. And if I employ these means, I can and should be confident that the Lord will lift any blinders that may be on my eyes and grant me the grace to see the loving hand of God in all the events of my life.